Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So great to see your smiling faces today in person. And also those of you who are joining us online, I want to say thank you. So glad that you're here. Eric and I were gone the past two Sundays, and we had a great time with family on vacation. But how many know when you go on vacation, one of the greatest things is coming back? And I'm just grateful that we have such a wonderful place to come back to. And, uh, and so we are, we are glad to be back with you today. And I just want to highlight and celebrate a few things with you before I dive into the message this morning. And one is this, that we have 34 kids going to kids camp tomorrow. That's amazing. Be praying for them, praying for the leaders that are going uh, with them. The other thing that we can celebrate is this past week, uh, Gretchen Armstrong and Connie Powers, uh, they're right back here in the back, there's Gretchen. And uh, this past week, Anelia did an an article, I'm going to slow down for a second so I can actually talk. Uh, there was a newspaper article written about Gretchen, front page of the Waverly newspaper. It was wonderful honoring her and celebrating her. And one of the things that Gretchen has done over the last couple of years is led a, an initiative to read the Bible out loud at the courthouse. And this past week that happened and a number of people showed up and the Bible was read through uh, and then some. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody who came who was a part of that. And then also, as they were out there, there were two two people who came up who were not followers of Jesus and started talking to them, and they were able to lead two people to Jesus on the, on the grounds of the courthouse this week. It's amazing. So we just celebrate that. For some of you who are like, that sounds so, uh, for, to read the Bible out loud in a public place, uh, what does that even feel like? Well, I'll tell you what it feels like. It feels perfectly normal. Honestly, there was nothing weird or awkward about it. There were chairs set up in the shade, and so I was able to go this week for a segment of time and read six chapters in Isaiah, and so I just sat there in the deal, and I didn't read it as loud as I'm talking to you right now, right? That's not, there, you don't have multiple people all yelling at the top of their lungs the scripture and said like we're just reading it out loud and uh, and so I would encourage you next year when we have the opportunity to do this again that you would sign up and be a part of that and so again Gretchen thank you so much for leading that and Connie really appreciate that the other thing is as, as, as I was gone, uh, Mark and Pastor Levinsky filled in those Sundays and if you appreciated their messages can you just express your appreciation to them powerful. I was able to watch online and catch up that way and so grateful for the words that they shared. And finally, before I jump into the message, I just want to share something uh, with you about our church right now. And it's this, that it's growing. It's growing. I was looking at numbers this week. A friend of mine uh, read a book and shared that the statistic right now is that most churches are at 27% pre-COVID attendance. Negative, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Negative 27%. Like they have lost 27% of the people that attended their church through COVID. And I was just sharing with him about what God is doing here at our church. And as we've looked at the numbers year to date, we're up 40% over the same time frame last year. Like praise God for that. 
And the reason why I share that is because sometimes we can just show up each Sunday and we can think that this is normal. And I'm just telling you, it's not normal. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. God is on the move. And so I want to say a number of things. Number one, to those of you who've been part of our church along the way, thank you. Thanks for making the investment. Thanks for being a place that uh, is welcoming, that people can invite their friends. And for those of you who have been inviting your friends like crazy, I want to say thank you. Keep it up. Let's keep seeing what God wants to do here. And then finally, if you're new, if you're part of that 40% increase that we've experienced, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, that you would would fill out a Connect card, go to the Welcome Center right outside those doors this morning, receive your free t-shirt, and then the second thing that I'd ask you to do is to go through Growth Track, where you can hear more about the history of our church and the vision of the church moving forward, as well as uh, through that, you can help discover how God has created you. And so I'm going to encourage you to do those two things, but let's just keep celebrating what God's done. Let's keep acknowledging it, and uh, I'm just telling you, we're grateful. Eric and I are honored to be able to pastor this church, and again, as we've come back from vacation, we're able to visit two great churches, but there is nothing like coming back home to this one. Somebody say amen. All right. Well, today we're going to start a new sermon series called Retold. We're going to look at some of the familiar Bible stories that we've heard as children, maybe some of you as you volunteered in children's church or in early childhood classrooms, you've taught some of these stories, and we're going to look at it through a different lens today. How many know that perspective is interesting? It's so interesting. And one of the funniest things about this building is when people come and tour it who haven't been in this building since they were junior hires, one of the common phrases that I hear when they step into a room is they go, wow, this room is smaller than I remember. Right? And it's because when they were junior hires, they were smaller than they remember. Right? (laughs) To them, everything was big. And so obviously, you all know that the footprint of this building has not changed. Instead, what's changed is the people. And so as they've grown grown larger, the room has looked smaller. When I was a kid and asking my mom for something that I didn't need, I just wanted, how about this for perspective? My mom would say, we don't have the money for that. And as a kid, my perspective and my response was, but mom, you have checks. (laughs) I've lost some of you. Uh, Some of you don't know what checks are. Let me just tell you what checks are. Checks were these pieces of paper that had your bank account number on it. And you would write someone's name on the check and the amount that you wanted to give to them, and then you would sign it. And that was good enough that they could go to a bank and they could deposit it, or, and, and then the balance in the account would grow, or they could get these things called bills, cash money. I know, again, it's, it's hard. Just bear with me for a minute. This is paper green stuff that you can take into stores and purchase things. It's, it's completely old school. But my perspective was... Mom's got checks, surely she can afford anything. Because my perspective was every time we went to the grocery store, every time we went to the mall, every time we went to the restaurant and to the gas station, she pulled out these pieces of paper that I thought were magical. As an adult, I realized that you have to have money to back up what you write on those magical pieces of paper. Otherwise, what are they going to do? Wow, you really are young. 
Like, I expected a few more of you would know what checks were. So I'm not even going to explain what bouncing is, but that's what happens when you don't have enough money in your account. They would bank. They would bounce. They would not bank. They would bounce. Today, kids might would look with the same response and rather than say, but mom, you have checks, to say, mom, you have your card, right? Uh, the same idea. Perspective changes everything. And the way that some of the familiar Bible stories are taught in kids' church is different than how we read them as adults. We have a different perspective. And so we're going to look at these familiar stories and see how they fit into God's overall story in the Bible and how they inform our understanding of the gospel. So this morning, we're going to look at the story of Noah's Ark and the flood. And before we look at that, I think we should look at what's crammed into the first five chapters of the Bible and and see some of that. In the beginning, we see uh, in Genesis, we see the creator God spoke creation into existence. A number of weeks ago, we were in our Unearthed series where we talked about how we are not self-created, we are God-created. He created the heavens and the earth, and he created us. And after he spoke creation into existence, he said that it was good. He had created something perfect and something good. When you look at the diversity around our world of people and places, God has a vivid imagination to be able to see all of that and speak it into existence. And so he creates Adam and Eve, and and through the two of them, sin enters into the world. Now, Adam and Eve were not created like robots, just as us were not created as robots. Instead, they were given a free will and a choice to choose right or wrong, wicked or evil or good or evil. And they chose to disobey God, and from there, multiple generation, in multiple generations, sin abounded. And so I'd encourage you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6 this morning. We're going to look at a number of verses. I would encourage you, as you're taking notes, to write down these verses. And as Romeo talked about, when you find your place this week where it's just you and God, revisit some of these verses and see what the Holy Spirit wants to still speak to your heart about. So Genesis chapter 6, it's also going to appear on the screen Verse number nine, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. 
for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us, open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, and give us the courage to walk in obedience to what you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. As you read uh, as you reread this story in Genesis chapter 6, maybe there are some details that stand out to you that stand out a little different than what they did when you were a kid. Frederick, Frederick Buckner once wrote, when I was a child, I had a Noah's Ark made of wood with a roof that came off so you could take the animals out and put them in, and he said he bought some for his kids as well. Yet if you stop to look at it all, this is really as dark a tale as there is in the Bible, which is full of dark tales. It is a tale of God's terrible despair over the human race and his decision to visit them with a great flood that would destroy them all except for this one old man, Noah, and his family. Only now we give it to children to read, he says, and one wonders why. When we look at this story, while there is a very strong redemptive piece to the story, it's one of the the darkest stories in the Bible. And the previous quote highlights the fact that perhaps because of our rosy exposure to these stories when when we're young, we miss what's really happening. I mean, when we're kids, when we're teaching kids, we focus on the positive and the redemptive piece of the story, and we don't avoid the rest of it, but we don't focus on it, right? In kids' church today, if PG were to preach out of Genesis chapter 6, I guarantee you that he's not in there saying, and God told Noah to build an ark, and that he and his family were going to be spared, and the rest of the people were going to be wiped out. In fact, can you imagine the sound that Noah and his family heard as the rest of creation, water's ankle deep, and knee deep, and hip deep, and now it's up to the shoulders, and they're crying in despair. Like, that's not what's focused on as we hear this story. But as you think of what happened, can you imagine? It's a horrific, horrific story. There are terrible things that happen in this passage, and the terrible things that happen in this passage are not because God isn't good. It's because of the sinfulness of humans, right? When we look at Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 6, as God is talking about the earth, he's saying that the people are wicked and violent, In verse number 11 and 12, he he says it this way, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God sees the wide ranging results of sin and no longer says it's good. Instead, the earth is corrupt and filled with violence. And so God lays out this plan for Noah in verse number 13 and he says he's going to destroy humans with the earth. The solution to human sinfulness appears to be a giant reset on creation, except that's not what happens. Instead, an invitation is given for Noah to build an ark and for a remnant to be saved. Noah is to take some of all creation onto this boat, and in verse number 18, God says that he will establish a new covenant with Noah. And so there's this glimmer of hope for him and his family with this command from God. And so Noah builds this ark, clearly not being able to see what's to come. He's ridiculed by those around him, but he still walks in obedience to God even when he can't see what's about to come. And so Noah builds the ark. God floods the earth. The earth is covered. Every land-based animal and human not on the ark are wiped out. And I just know, like, for some of you listening this morning, this, this sounds harsh to modern sensibilities. 
But I think it's worth looking at. Pastor Levinsky preached last week the importance of God's word in rightly dividing the word of God. And he shared this clip of a universalist, someone who believes that all roads lead to heaven, that everybody's going to make it. And I just wonder if he got stuck with this nursery perspective of Noah and the ark when he was a kid. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, we insert ourselves or ascribe a certain uh, character to ourselves. So when we read the story of David and Goliath, what happens? We're like, I'm David. I'm going to slay this giant. God's with me. Who can be against me, right? Never in all of the years of teaching and preaching the word of God has anybody ever come up to me and said, you know, actually I identify as that uncircumcised Philistine. I'm really that guy in the story, you know? I'm just waiting for the stone to hit my head and for that little shepherd boy to chop off my head. (laughs) Nobody ever has said that. Instead, most people are like, I'm David in the story. And, and, And so rarely do we assign the villain of the story to us. Instead, we ascribe the hero of the story to us. And there are two groups of people in this story of Noah and the ark and the flood, and it's this, Noah and his family and the rest of the people. You have the righteous and you have the wicked. And again, most times as we talk about this, we don't focus on the fact that all of those people lost their lives, but they did. And so in this story, we see God's grace and we see his justice. And if all of humanity reads themselves as the righteous Noah and not the wicked in this story, then they're missing the mark. Because again, throughout the Bible and in this story, we see God's justice and his mercy. They're both there. In this story, we see God's mercy extended to Noah and his family while extending judgment to the rest of creation because of sin. And I just want to say this, if the wicked weren't spared then, they won't be spared in the future. They weren't spared in the past, and they won't be spared in the future. After the flood, we'll still see God's judgment of, after the flood, we still see God's judgment of human sin. We see God's judgment of human sin at the Tower of Babel where God sees and judges by confusing languages. It's found in Genesis chapter 11. We see God's judgment in Genesis chapter 19 when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. We see God's judgment of Israel when a whole generation is not allowed to enter into the promised land and instead dies in the desert in Numbers chapter 14. We see God's judgment of human sin at Calvary where Jesus' blood of the covenant is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins found in Matthew chapter 26, 28. And all of these judgments of God are precursors of God's final judgment at Jesus' second coming. Jesus is coming again. In Matthew chapter 24, verse number 38, it says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of that house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at any hour, you do, at an hour you do not expect Jesus is coming again for his church. And he's coming for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. And I wonder this morning, will you be ready? 
Some of you might be like, how in the world do you make yourself ready for that moment? Well, the Bible tells us that if we confess with our hearts and confess with our mouth and believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we'll be saved. That's how we make ourselves ready. We become followers of Jesus. And he's coming back for us. I remember when this passage was preached when I was a kid. I, I grew up in a different generation, a different era. Maybe some of you grew up in a church like this. But this verse would be read and preachers would, would, uh, would in interject their own theology on this. And so they would read it and they would say, two men will be in the field and none will make it. Two women will be at the grinding mill and both will be left. And so it's just like there was no hope. There was no chance. And I just want to tell you this morning, there is hope and there is chance and his name is Jesus. And when we call on his name, he's the one who gives us a chance. He's the one that gives us hope. Noah was obedient even when he couldn't see. And I think the further that we get away from the promise of Jesus' second coming, that in the flesh, the, uh, the easier it is to think that it's not going to happen. But I just want to tell you this morning that God is true to his word. And if he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so I can tell you with full assurance this morning that the further that we get away from that promise, the closer that we get to the fulfillment. It's just going to happen. That's a place. Y'all can say amen there. Like, it's just true. He's coming back. The further we get away, the sooner it becomes. And after he comes, we'll experience the white throne judgment. And this is found in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. It, says, it talks about it this way. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." Can I just tell you that my perspective as a kid when I heard these verses preached or when I read them, it was scary. Like I was scared as I read this. And I just want to tell all of us this morning, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid when we read this verse. And so we see God's promises are that he's gone to prepare a place for us and it's not the eternal lake of fire. And so while we can have peace with our own salvation, what these passages should do is increase our urgency to advance the gospel. Because we realize that not everybody makes it. Even in these moments of judgment, God's mercy is extended to those who've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. In verse number 15, it talks about, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And again, maybe some of you, you hear this passage and you read it and you're like, what is this book of life and how can my name be written in it? And I'll just tell you how we get our names written in the book of life is confessing with our mouth and believing with our heart that Jesus is Lord and living a life following after him. That's how we get our names in the book. Even in these moments of judgments, his mercy is extended to those who've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. In his grace, as in the flood narrative, God rescues a remnant of, the, of each of these judgments. 
In the flood narrative, Noah and his family were the remnant that God showed mercy to. And after 40 days, the floodwaters began to recede, and eventually dry ground is found. And at that time, God reiterates the command made to Adam and Eve to Noah. And in verse number one, it says of chapter, Genesis chapter nine, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. He gives them this command and promises that he'll never flood the earth like that again. In verse number eight of Genesis chapter nine, it says, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offsprings after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verses 13 through 17 go on and talk about the rainbow being the sign of the covenant between God and the earth. And as I studied for this message, I came across some thoughts on the rainbow from Matthew Henry's commentary that are interesting. I just want to share them with you this morning. The first is this, the rainbow appears when the clouds are most disposed to wet and returns after the rain. So let me say it this way, the, cloud, the rainbow appears when the clouds are most full, that look the most dangerous, when it looks like the biggest rain is about to come, and then after that is when the rainbow appears. So he says, we, we see the rainbow when we have the most reason to fear the rain, then God shows this seal of the promise that it shall not prevail. The second thing that he points out about the rainbow is that the thicker the cloud, the brighter the rainbow in the clouds. The thicker the cloud, the brighter the rainbow in the clouds. The more ominous looking the cloud looks, the brighter the rainbow shines through. And think about this, like the darker the world gets, the brighter the light of Jesus shines. And so he says, as threatening afflictions abound, encouraging consolations much more abound. The third thing he says is the rainbow appears when one part of the sky is clear. The rainbow appears when one part of the sky is clear. And so it's a picture of God's wrath and his mercy. When the Hebrew word uh, that talks about bow, it is rarely, rarely when it's used is it referring to a rainbow. I think as we look at the context of Genesis chapter 9, we can see that it's talking about a rainbow. But most of the times when that Hebrew word is used, it's talking about a weapon. And when you look at the shape of a rainbow and you think of a bow, there's a curve to it. And with the rainbow, there's no string and there's no arrow, but think about the orientation of the bow. So if there was a string and an arrow, that arrow would be pointing up, not pointing down. And so Matthew Henry says it like this. It says, it's directed upwards, not towards the earth. The sign of the covenant was intended to comfort, not terrify sign of the covenant was meant to, intended to comfort, not to terrify. I think it's a beautiful picture. Signs are important. The rainbow is a sign for us that God's going to keep his covenant. One day, my kids and I were driving back from Topeka. My wife was not with us, and I was praying for a sign. 
I thought that I had plenty of gas to make it to the next town and, and the next station. And the sign that I was receiving was that I was an idiot as the low fuel light was telling me mile by mile that I wasn't going to make it. And so my heart was filled with anxiety. I've got these young kids in the car with me. My wife's going to kill me, you know, if she ever finds out. But of course they won't. She'll never find out because you'll tell your kids never to tell her. And of course they'll obey you and never tell her. Yeah, right. So anxiety is building. Like there's a sign that the car is going to run out of gas and I'm looking on the interstate and I'm just hoping that there's a sign for the next town and a sign for a gas station in the next town. And this was the part of the drive that was like this. And so up every hill, I'm like, Lord, I speak Jesus over this hill, right? Over my gas tank situation, right? So up every hill, down, up every hill. And I wish there was a happy ending to this story. There wasn't. The only blessing was that after the last hill, I coasted to the off-ramp of the next town. And so I can see the Casey's sign, but we're going to have to walk. So my kids, I won't say Jacob was crying. He might have been. He's young enough. Definitely Juliana was. She was definitely that young. What's happening? Are we going to be okay? No, we're going to die on the side of the highway. There's no hope. And so we go to the Casey's and we buy a gas can. I, I don't know if you know this because maybe you've not experienced this, but they know they have you. There is no incentive for a gas station to sell you a tank cheap. When I bent down to look at that price tag, and this is pre-COVID and pre-inflation and pre-gas prices. Like, I think I could have filled up my entire car for what I paid for the five-gallon gas can that I bought at the gas station. So we walk, we fill up the car, and we get on our way. And I'm just telling you, if I could have seen the sign sooner, then my heart would not have been filled with anxiety. Instead, my heart would have been filled with hope because I would have known that a gas station is ahead and the tank's about to be full. And here's what I want to say. As we see the rainbow, we see it with our eyes. It's a sign that then speaks to our heart. And then as it speaks to our heart, it inspires our faith. And this is what God has done for us with this sign. It's a sign that we serve a God of mercy and justice. When we see a rainbow, it should cause us to look back and remember the covenant that God made with creation. And it should cause us to look to the future where one day God will again extend mercy to his followers and destroy the wicked. So we think about this story. Unfortunately, the flood didn't remove sin. Instead, sinful, imperfect people boarded the ark and sin escaped the flood by boarding the ark through Noah and his family. And it doesn't take too many verses as you continue to read this story to see that imperfect people was me were messing it up again. And as we think about signs, the cross is a sign that points us to the mercy of God. He's made a way for us to spend an eternity with him. And the past and the present should lead us to obedience. Hebrews chapter 11, many of you are familiar with it. It's the hall of fame of great people in, in, in history. And verse number seven says, by faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and he built an ark. 
May we be people who respect the warning and walk in obedience. He's a God who does what he says he will do. And as we look back to this familiar children's story, I hope that for those who aren't followers of Jesus today, that you would realize that there is hope for you, that God has made a way through Jesus. And that today, just like with Noah, he couldn't see the end coming, but he knew God was good for his word. That today, that even when you can't see, that's what faith is. Even when you can't see, that you would put your trust in him and become a follower of him. When we miss the signs, it's costly. For me, it was an inconvenience that day when I miss seeing the sign. But for many, it's not gonna be an inconvenience. It's gonna be an awful eternity. Will you bow your heads and will you close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you've never received the free gift of life that, that God offers through his son, Jesus. You've never confessed him as Lord and Savior and asked him to forgive you of your sins. And, and today you say, I wanna become a follower of him. I want him to reserve my place in heaven. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time, or you say I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand, you can put it down. Are there others this morning? There's another, you can put it down. Are there others this morning? There's three, is there another this morning? There's four. Is there another? Let's all stand. There were at least four hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. And if you raise your hand here in person or online, we'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today and the journey that God wants to take you on. So again, if you'll text the word yes to 319-250-8998. I want to pray over us in, in just a moment. And then the worship team is going to lead us in another song. And when they do, the prayer team is going to make their way to each side of the stage. If you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you to step out of your seat as soon as they begin leading us in that song and come forward for prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's filled with hope, that it's filled with mercy, and that it's also filled with your truth and with your justice. 
And so this morning, as we look back on a, on, on a very, very dark story of Noah and the ark, Lord, we can see your redemptive plan and your redemptive peace to it. And so, Lord, today, as we think about the darkness around us, those who are far from you, God, we ask that there would be a sense of urgency within all of us to share the gospel, that you would give the courage to each of us to extend an invite for someone to come to church or to share the gospel with them. We thank you for the two people on the courthouse lawn this week who surrendered their lives and gave their heart to you and for the courage of those who were willing to share. And Lord, we just pray that there would be more stories and more testimonies of that as we know that eternity is real, that Jesus' return is imminent, it's sooner than it's ever been, and he's coming for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. So Lord, help us as we prepare for that day to live in this moment, to live righteous lives, holy and pleasing unto you, and help us to share your word with those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.